The Great Commission is what we're talking about. The Great Commission's task of global disciple-making. It's the most ambitious project ever undertaken, if you think about it. You know, given the scale and complexity of global missions, really, it's no wonder that misconceptions are all over the place. They abound, even among invested in godly people. So questions and skepticism about missions arise from both outside and inside the church. I'm grateful that Steve Richardson, who is uh, he's an author and a missionary kid, uh, he has written this book, Is the Commission Still Great? Myths about missions and what they mean for the church. He's written this book. It's brand spanking new. And Steve is with us here this morning. Hi, Steve. Good morning. Good morning. Great to be with you. Fantastic to have you on board with us. There's so many of these myths that you take a look at. And by the way, what was it like growing up as a missionary kid? Yeah, it was amazing. I mean, I I grew up in a tribe of 3,000 people, uh, cannibals and headhunters. And when mom and dad first began explaining the gospel to them, they thought Judas was the hero of the story because they, as a people, idealized treachery. Mm-hmm. And um, it, it was just amazing growing up and just seeing the, the truth of Romans one sixteen that the gospel is the power of God to uh, save those who believe. And uh, so having a front row seat like that uh, just gave me an incredible appreciation for, for the power of, of the message of salvation in Christ. Your dad wrote a missionary classic, a book called The Peace Child. That's an amazing book. Yeah, it really uh, kind of was an eye-opener to many Christians with the idea that actually God has prepared people for the arrival of the gospel and embedded ideas and uh, customs, some of them perhaps thousands of years uh, waiting for fulfillment when the messenger of the gospel finally came. And in the case of the Sawi people that I grew up with, that came in the form of another custom they had, which was the only way they could make peace was by giving one of their own children to the enemy. And so that child became what they called the peace child. And so it was really fun just being a part of my family's ministry there as a child and seeing how Dad and Mom's ministry in that isolated location actually became a blessing to people all around the world. You know, later I went to the Soviet Union as it was opening up, and they knew all about the peace child story. I went to Iraq uh, during the time when Saddam Hussein was hiding out in a hole there, Mm. and people there knew about peace child. It was amazing. Mm. Amazing how God has used that story in that book. I love that. Speaking of which, on the mission field, I love to uh, hear stories for missionaries, stories of all kinds, but especially stories of God's provision and his protection. You saw that. uh, You were up close and personal, I guess, huh? Yeah, I could give quite a few illustrations of that. There were so many poisonous snakes. Uh, Some of them, you know, you die half an hour later if you got bit. And one time when I was about two years old, our canoe capsized in the river. And that's a, a fun story in a chapter called Capsized Among Crocodiles <laughs> in Dad's book. And uh, mm. a crocodile was caught just right near that spot where we'd been uh, overturned in the river um, a couple of days later. So I'm just thanking God. 
Oh, that's great. Wow. I love this. And I should mention as well that Steve is president of Pioneers USA. It's, uh, it mobilizes and supports uh, roughly 3,200 missionaries and marketplace professionals who impact, my goodness, uh, maybe 500 unreached people groups in 95 countries. So it's really cool what he's up to, and I love that. By the way, you're just up, uh, just up the road from us here in Tampa Bay. You're in Orlando, aren't you? That's right. Yeah, we've got a beautiful spot here, uh, not too far from the airport in Orlando. Yeah. Perfect. Oh, yeah. So uh, you have trouble sleeping because you hear the planes coming in. <laughs> All <laughs> All right. it's, it's better than a train, maybe. I don't know. It's... Easy come and go. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, yeah, exactly. Oh, man. Well, let's talk about some of these questions people may have. You know, somebody may say, well, missions is an outdated idea. I mean, there are critics everywhere. How do you respond to people who come up with that one? Well, uh, first of all, uh, biblically speaking, uh, it can't be an outdated idea until Jesus comes back. That's what I'm thinking, too, yeah. Because Jesus said, you know, this gospel of the kingdom will be preached in the whole world as a testimony to all peoples, and then the end will come. So then the end hasn't come yet, so it can't be outdated. But then I would also say, you know, there are some ideas underlying that, that question or that assumption, and one of them might be that missions has been so successful that it's not needed anymore, especially from the West. And here, here, here's where, you know, I, I, I was on a journey of exploring the psychology of missions. And, and a helpful question, I think, is, uh, what are the thoughts that pop into a person's mind when they hear the term missions or missionary? And that's one of them, Kurt, is that I think um, we, we're not needed from the West anymore. And, and not only have we been so successful, someone might be thinking, uh, but we have so many issues here in this country. Why mm. would we be trying to you know, send people to other countries? And, and aren't, aren't missionaries just promoting Western ideas and culture and being imperialists? So, you know, I've tried to unpack eight of the key myths. Um, and that is one of them. I had a wealthy friend who came and visited us here at Pioneers a while back and, you know, loved the Lord, well-versed in Scripture, but he looked around at this beehive of activity trying to send people to 100 countries around the world, and he said, wow, is this still a thing? Mm, wow. <laughs> so, yeah, I think a lot of Christians are in that category. And, you know, 87 to 90% of, of churchgoers, if you ask them, what is the Great Commission? They either have no idea what you're talking about, or they can't tell you where where it is generally in the Scripture. So we have a lot of work to do. Mm. Yeah. Well, without a doubt, history tells us uh, that some bad things have been done in the name of Jesus. How do we redeem that? How do we move on from that? Yeah, and, and that's true. And you can find historical examples. Now, often those weren't true believers Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. In, in Jesus. Now, even true believers can make mistakes, and we carry our culture with us because everybody, you know, has a culture. But were those people, you know, the sort of, all those colonial impressions that people have in, in their subconscious background, were they actually guided by the Holy Spirit? Mm-hmm. And so I think it's a little bit like someone saying, you know, I had a bad experience at a church, so I'm not going to go to church anymore. 
Mm. We have to be careful to what is the kernel of truth? Yes, missionaries have made mistakes and they're fallible and they're finding their way and they're learning somebody else's culture and they can't help but bring some of their own you know, uh, presuppositions with them. But they're also being guided by the Holy Spirit and they're part of a, of a big process that God is working out. Some of the things we're talking about here, Steve, you know something popped into my mind. Um, it seems like a lot of the missionaries that are being sent out are coming maybe from, now you tell me if this is true or not, but from Africa and places like that, and, and they're being sent out to Europe, and they're even being sent out to uh, the United States to be missionaries to us. I, I find that very interesting. Yeah, that's exactly right. <clears throat> and uh, if you think about it, every believer in the world is a result of missions. You know, yeah. mm-hmm. I, I just don't, I, I doubt that there's a Jewish believer today who has an uninterrupted genealogy, spiritual genealogy, tracing all the way back to the disciples. So, so if you think of missions as cross-cultural disciple-making, all of us are a result of missions. And yeah, you're right. There are more and more missionaries coming to the U.S., praise the Lord. You know, I've I, I met with a Hispanic uh, pastor and denominational leader who, who said to me, he said, we have thousands of churches here in the U.S. right now, and our goal and our prayer is that we will be a blessing, you know, to America through the gospel. And I thought to myself, wow. And uh, it's true. Europeans, I mean, here you find the, the newer, vibrant churches that have been established in places like Korea that was considered impenetrable, you know, by the gospel 100 years ago. And they now have twenty to 30,000 missionaries. For every Western missionary, my personal estimate would be that there are probably 20 missionaries from other countries. Hmm. So, you know, missions isn't a Western thing. It's, it's, it's a global thing. I love that. See, we're learning so much in this conversation. Um, you know, some people might be saying, okay, well, are we succeeding when it comes to missions, or are we failing? That's a legitimate question. Some people are wondering about all of this. But you know what I keep thinking about, Steve, is, is Jesus himself saying, hey, the gates of hell will not overcome my work. That's my paraphrase. Um, You know, I'm going to do what I'm going to do. The gates of hell and the opposition against the gospel will not prevail in the end. And and I know that's true, but then I pause for a moment, and then I remember the the wide road and the narrow gate illustration that Jesus gave. You know, the way is narrow that leads to life, and the road is wide that leads to uh, destruction. So, um, some thoughts on succeeding or failing or or measuring results. The the um, the interesting thing about the psychology of missions, if you want to call it that, and you know, psychology is the study of mental or emotional factors influencing uh, a situation or a perception. Is that uh, the enemy of the gospel loves to take a kernel of truth and then exaggerate it? One, one direction or the other. And if he can't get you on one side, if he, if, he, if he can't get you on the side of thinking, oh, we've been so successful, we don't need to send anybody anymore, he'll try to get you on the other side. Oh, it's failing. And, and we're not actually... So, so suppose you hear that there are still over 7,000 unreached 
people groups around the world, cultures that still need to mm-hmm. hear the gospel and have churches uh, multiply. You know, and, and you might be thinking, oh, we've we've failed. Missions is failing, or or the world population is growing faster, and so forth. So obviously, in an interview like this, I don't have time to unpack all the details. But I've had so much joy in actually looking into these topics and saying, what is the reality? And the reality is that the gospel is growing so rapidly in so many places around the world as a result of the faithful giving and prayers of a minority of God's people who actually catch the vision. Hmm. And I could get... Quite a few examples of that. I, you know, that was my follow-up. You were reading my mind, Steve. I, <laughs> I want you to share a story, something that uh, kind of illustrates what you're talking about. Okay, so the big picture is, you know, about 120 years ago, which, you know, might seem like a long time to us, but in the scheme of things, it's not very long. About 80% of the Christians were in the West, and 20% were in the non-West. Today, it's the reverse, mm-hmm. because of missions. Okay, take take the island of New Guinea that I grew up on and the islands around it. About 1,500 languages spoken there. Wow. When mom and dad carried me to the Sawi people as a six-month-old, relatively few of those 1,500 languages had the gospel, much less multiplying churches. Today, almost none don't have their own indigenous churches. Hmm. And that's just in my short lifetime. What, what is the fastest-growing church in the world? Many say it's the Iranian church, hmm. the Persian church. Who would have thought that the Ayatollah Khomeini back in 1979 would have been God's key to seeing one of the most difficult countries actually become super responsive to the message of Jesus? Mm-hmm. Only God could to, do that. That's, yeah. a, that's yeah. amazing. You could go to Seoul, Korea, and there are six Persian-speaking churches, I understand, there in Seoul, Korea, and all over the world. And uh, Albania, I remember, was an entirely uh, atheistic country. I just read an article yesterday suggesting that there are no more atheists left in Albania today <laughs> because of missions. Wow, Mongolia, Mongolia had four Christians just a few decades ago, and today there are tens of thousands of believers, <laughs> and they're actually sending, they're sending missionaries with our organization to other countries today. Wow. Just to think about this, you see, these are the untold stories. And the enemy of our soul, well, he is not only a liar, but he is the father of lies. And he doesn't want these stories to be released, right, so we can praise God for them. He wants to keep them under wraps, these untold stories. You know what, Steve? We need to be shouting these from the rooftops. That's what we're doing right now. Yeah, I really agree. This is faith-building stuff. Yeah. Uh, by the way, uh, name of the book is uh, is the commission still great? Now, when it comes to um, those folks who say, "Okay, do we really, you know, do we? How do I put this? Do we really need to to send people from here in the United States or from the West to other places? Because once we get them up and running in these other countries." Uh, you know, we can maybe be short-term and then pull out, and then they take responsibility. The folks who receive Jesus there, uh, the church there, they they take responsibility for building the church with God's help, and they really don't need a lot of lot of help from us or support at that point. Um, how do we approach some some folks who may be thinking along those lines? 
Yeah, yeah, really good question. I, uh, first of all, I'm all for short-term missions. And done, done right, it can contribute tremendously. Now, I, I wonder if a lot of short-term missions efforts are really more organized around the, the needs and desires of the person going on the trip as opposed to the needs in the context where they're going. So that's, that's the challenge that people need to work on. And, and I've understood that uh, Western churches spend about $4 billion annually on short-term trips. So is that money being well invested? You know, that, that's an important question. Yeah. But I would also say, you know, the foundation laying uh, period of church planting and of disciple making in these, especially in these unreached people groups around the world, takes more time than most people think. And uh, I would also say that if we stop sending our own flesh and blood long term, that I don't think that's going to end up being a blessing to the churches here in the U.S. Mm-hmm. I, I think mm-hmm. that actually there's there's a there's a chain there's a kind of a supply chain of what makes a healthy church. And part of that is lifting our eyes, as Jesus said to his disciples, and making sure that we're obediently participating in even long-term flesh and blood aspects of Great Commission obedience. And, and you know, some of the healthiest churches that I've encountered in my travels all over the country have been churches that are reaching out locally, but also globally. And it's not an either-or proposition. Mm. You know, one of the things that uh, we were talking earlier today on the show about surrender and how important that is as followers of Jesus. He who wants to save his life will lose it, uh, but he who loses his life for my sake, uh, he will find it, Jesus says. And there are many people who are afraid of surrender because they think, okay, if I surrender everything in my life to the Lord— Uh, then he's going to send me to the depths of Africa to be a missionary. And, I mean, I'm just being honest. People think along those lines, and they use that illustration. But it just seems to me, and and Steve, I want you to uh, speak to this, if God does indeed call you to do that, you will have a desire to go there. Yeah, I, I think that worry maybe says something about our theology and who we think God is. Yeah, I agree. And, and whether or not he actually loves us and is capable of protecting us on any journey. Um, now, I remember when the board of pioneers asked Arlene and me to leave our ministry in Southeast Asia among a major unreached people group, 40 million people, hmm. uh, and said, would you take the leadership you know, of the organization here in the U.S.? And the first thought that came to my mind was, oh, no. Our four daughters will have to be raised here in America <laughs> instead of having the privilege of being part of the action out there, you know, in that place that we've come to love so much. So, yeah, yeah. I think, I think one, maybe a prayer that someone can pray if they find themselves in that situation is, Lord, give me a desire to align myself with whatever your will is. That's a great prayer. I like that. Yeah. Well, Steve, uh, we could have you on for another two hours, but I know I have to let you go. Thank you, my friend, for being with us, and thank you for writing this book, uh, Is the Commission Still Great? We appreciate you, and uh, since you're just up the road from us, uh, you're always welcome to join us maybe next time here in the studio. That'd be great, uh, Kurt and Kate. Thank you so much.